Hello, and welcome to the Learn to Mediate Online podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and I'm one of the leading experts in online mediation. I have personally been mediating online for over five years now, and I have my own fully online family law mediation and coaching practice. Two years ago, after so many of my colleagues reached out wanting to know how I was doing it, I created the Learn to Mediate Online training program. And to date, I have personally trained thousands of mediators in how to successfully conduct their mediations through an online platform. As a leading figure in the online mediation movement, I am privileged to be on the cutting edge of developments and advances in online practice. And this podcast has been created to share that information with you. So tune in each week to get the inside story on how to mediate online. I invite you to now listen to today's podcast. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today I want to talk about what I see as the number one mistake being made by many mediators as they are pivoting their practice to an online mediation practice, Um, and that is that they are not properly preparing themselves and their clients for the differences of an online experience. Um, It is not the same as just, hey, I know how to use Zoom. How hard can this be? Um, So let's, you know, just drill down on this because the reason I decided to talk about this is I had the experience in the past few weeks of participating in some online mediations, but for once, I was not the mediator. I was actually an attorney or advocate for one of the parties in mediation. Um, And so that was a unique or more unique perspective for me. You know, lately and in the past five years, I have been an online mediator. And so while I am well acquainted with how I handle an online mediation, and certainly I'm not saying my way is the only way, um, but having done it for as long as I've done it and made the mistakes myself, um, many of which, if you, you know, for those who have taken one of my trainings know, one of the first things I tell you is I just jumped online and started winging it in the beginning five years ago when I decided to try to mediate online. So I'm not giving my colleagues who um, I'm speaking about or anybody who is listening this a hard time. I just want to raise our consciousness to an understanding that we have a higher duty than just flipping on a video conferencing program and figuring we're just going to see how it goes. Um, and, And to that point, let me just say, you know, as mediators, we do have a duty of competence. Um, And while many of us, I think, would agree that that extends to being competent in facilitating and conducting a mediation, I would say it also extends to competence in whatever platform or whatever format you are providing your services. So that if you are going to provide mediation services online in video format, telephonic format, email or text format, or any 
other means or in person, but you know, I'm talking about ODR here. That's that's this podcast. Um, I really feel that we have a duty to do this with a level of competence so that our clients are well prepared for the experience, so that they have a good experience, and frankly, so that we have a good experience. Because Another thing that I have heard quite a bit lately as an online you know, mediation expert is many people say to me, oh, I did one, I, I either conducted one or I participated in an online mediation and it went horribly. Oh, I hated it. Oh, it was terrible. Obviously, online mediation is no good. Um, but when I actually get into questioning either the mediator who said it was a horrible experience or the participant, it's usually because there were avoidable tech problems or because we had people who were not properly prepared to enter into the mediation process online. So, you know, I'm just going to say, again, I am not giving anyone a hard time. I want us all to think about the fact that if we are going to do mediations online, we better be sure that we are checking all the boxes and covering all of the bases to make sure that that process is going to proceed the way that it should. So let's cover some of the topics that I think a mediator who is going to provide mediation services online should consider. So let's talk first about equipment and setup. Um, A mediator needs to have a minimum level of equipment. For many of us, that can be just a laptop if it already has an integrated web camera and microphone. Um, You do want to make sure they're of high enough quality that you have good audio and that you have a good, clear video picture of yourself because a great deal of our communication as human beings, as you've heard me say in other episodes, is through our facial expressions. So the other point to this equipment aspect is that you need to let the participants know they need that equipment. Do not have them just flipping on on their cell phone and expecting them to be able to see the documents that you're showing. Yes, it may be that that needs to be the the device on which they participate, but give them the option of knowing that a computer or at least a tablet would be better. The other thing that is pretty critical is having a good set of headphones because you need to be able to hear everybody. And frankly, they all need to be able to hear you, so they should have headphones. It goes beyond just the audible, though. It's also a privacy factor because at least then what is being said on the screen in the in the mediation, with the exception of the person who is speaking in their room, but if there's someone else in the room, at least they can't hear the rest of the community. Communication. So that's of critical importance to have that equipment. The other truly critical, um, I'll call it equipment, um, but what, you know, setup is that 
Each participant in the mediation has to have good Wi-Fi, a strong Wi-Fi connection, or they need an Ethernet connection, which is actually what I use and what I recommend. But that is something that can take a little bit of lead time if people do not have high-quality Wi-Fi um, or have an opportunity to get that Ethernet put into their home. The number one reason that I hear people do not like an online mediation experience is because for some reason, the screen was constantly freezing for one of the parties or more. Well, you know why that's happening? Because somebody did not have an internet connection that was sufficient for live streaming video. And that's what video conferencing is. So another thing that that clients, participants need to know about ahead of time, as well as the mediator. So another aspect that we all have an obligation and a duty around, and this is where in the most recent mediations where I, that I've participated in, this was where I, I had some concerns because mediation is a confidential and private process. Um, it is confidential in that it is usually excluded. Um, communications in mediation are usually excluded um, from evidence in a legal proceeding. Um, we also create confidentiality, most of us, in our um, agreements to mediate. We need to be sure that everyone understands that that is in full force and effect. And if people are participating in your mediation online, every single one of them should have signed a confidentiality agreement. In addition, mediation is a private proceeding. And this is the one that people uh, really have an issue around and that falls through the cracks. So privacy means that only the people who are supposed to be participating in that mediation are there. And that isn't just people physically in the rooms. Because remember now on an online mediation, everyone is off in some different place. Everyone is remote from everyone else. Right now, as we sit in COVID or quarantine, many people are in their homes with their family members. It can be crowded. In the world beyond COVID and before COVID, many of my participants would be in their offices where usually there were other people, co-workers, colleagues who were around. So at people who are participating in a mediation need to be advised ahead of time that they can't have any third parties present nor anyone who can overhear what is happening. This is critical to maintaining the integrity and the privacy of the process. Yet, there was no mention of this in any of the mediations that I've recently participated in. No, no mention at all. Um, and in fact, one of the participants was in a location that I do not know where they were and had to ask. Um, the other person was at work and had to be asked to go find a private location at work because you could see that there were people in the background. Now, I was one of the advocates in there having to point this out. I want you mediators to think about the fact that you are the professionals in the room who have been hired to provide an experience for your participants. So that is, in my thinking, the mediator's obligation to educate at least the advocates so the advocates can educate the clients. Um, 
you know, I, I, I can't really emphasize that enough. Um, I think all of this, as I, I say in my um, training, this all really needs to be put into some sort of written document that goes out to everyone ahead of time. In fact, in my practice, I have a few documents that go out to participants in online or virtual mediations ahead of time. I have a setup and Zoom or Legaler or Modren like starter guide that I send them um, in writing in advance, telling them you know where they're going to, how they're going to log on, where they're going to find them information, all that information I told you about equipment and setup, um, everything that they need to know on the technical side of just getting ready. Um, I also then have, as as many of you know, my guidelines and ground rules. Um, I share those as a part of my online training program because I think it's critical that we have a very thorough and explanatory document that sets rules around the mediation process that that communicates those rules to the clients, that educates them on why they're important, and that makes them mandatory. And in fact, I have everyone, as I mentioned earlier, everyone who's participating in the mediation needs to sign the guidelines and ground rules. Um, and then I have various clauses in my agreement to mediate that also reference the fact that this is an online mediation. Most of them are repetitive of the the guidelines and ground rules. And in fact, I um, incorporate by reference my guidelines and ground rules into the agreement to mediate. But I think the critical part here is that it is the mediator's responsibility to know of these things, these, these, these issues ahead of time, and to communicate these issues to the participants, educate them ahead of time, and explain to them why it's important. Why is it important that you not be at Starbucks on public Wi-Fi for your mediation? Yes, you can get a nice coffee and a croissant, but you have an awful lot of stranger third parties who are overhearing your private and confidential conversations. Not permissible in a private and confidential proceeding. Um, so the mediator bears that responsibility, and it's the best way, I think, to take care of it is to create these written documents, make it a part of your process that you send these things out to the participants ahead of time, uh, maybe multiple times. Maybe have a, uh, a session or offer a practice session ahead of time so that these things can be reviewed beforehand. Now, in addition, I want to talk about having a, a level of competence in using whatever video conferencing platform you are using, be it Zoom, WebEx, Legaler, Modren, DRO, I don't care what platform or platforms you're using, the mediator has to know how to use that platform. And it goes beyond everyone who right now has flipped on Zoom or flipped on WebEx or Microsoft Teams and knows how to have a meeting. 
Having a meeting is one thing. That's you and a few other participants popping on the screen by clicking a link, and maybe you share documents, share the screen, or maybe you use the chat function. But if you are going to conduct a mediation, you need to know the full functionality of your platform and how you are going to do what you did in person, things like caucusing, things like um, knocking on the door of a conference room. How are you going to do that in the online platform? Things like how are you now going to sign documents? How are you now going to show everyone a, um, a document on the screen? How are you going to use a whiteboard? How are you going to take notes and then show them in the other conference room? I'm calling them conference rooms. In uh, Zoom, they're called breakout rooms. In Modrin, they're called spaces. Um, all these different platforms have a great deal of functionality that works beautifully for online mediation, but the mediator has to know how to use it. Um, and that was another aspect that came up in those mediations in which I was participating as an advocate. Clearly, the mediators in both those cases knew how to use, we were in both of them using Zoom, clearly they knew how to use them for meetings and had been conducting meetings remotely with clients um, on an ongoing basis. But when it came to doing things like caucusing, using the breakout rooms, um, using a whiteboard, uh, they they did not know how to do those things. So again, I I, I you know, be took up the um, took up the mantle and share that information. I'm happy to share the information with anyone, but that happening in a mediation again, I think, is a question for us as professionals that should have been answered ahead of time. These this isn't difficult. Um, even when you know, I I walk people through all of this in my online mediation training. But then ask anyone who's taken the, the training. I'd say you need to get on and you need to practice. I can show you over and over again how to create breakout rooms and assign people to them and move between them. But until you do it, you are not comfortable with it. It needs to be done. It doesn't even take a long time. But the mediator truly has to spend some time getting familiar with the platforms. That is a way that we can at least eliminate or reduce as many of the issues as possible, the tech issues or other issues that are going to arise. Um, so I really would like to emphasize that a great deal. And in fact, we have colleagues out there now, one of my colleagues in um, the American Bar Association um, is doing practice sex sessions. Um, I'll post the link to his practice sessions. He takes, I think, only five people per group and you get on for two hours and he's going to walk do, through all of the Zoom functions for newer mediators so that you have someone hands-on training you. Um, I, I, I think that's an amazing resource for people. So I will put the link um, to Waleed's uh, training in the show notes. Please check that out. Uh, the other thing around 
the online platform is meeting security. It is the mediator's obligation to know how to make the meeting secure. Again, because we are conducting a confidential and private process. Um, and there are a number of settings in the different platforms that need to be either chosen or not chosen in order for the meeting to be secure and for it to function properly. So I would say it goes beyond just security. There are also certain functionalities that you may want to disable or enable for the, the mediation to move and, and proceed um, smoothly. For example, in Zoom, you are going to want to have the waiting room function enabled for your mediations. It gives you, the host mediator, the ability to vet or check each participant before you admit them into your mediation. And that is a very high level of security because you have the ultimate control about letting people into that private and confidential proceeding. Very important. One that you may want to disable I strongly urge you to consider this, is disable participant recording of that meeting or mediation session. So that is something that you can disable. Many mediators do not know to do that. And to go a little further into the recording issue, in neither of the two mediations in which I recently participated, was there any prohibition on recording the mediation sessions? Um, I, I don't think it was a concern in those cases, but that prohibition on recording, as I always talk about, you know, with cell phones in our world, in an in-person mediation um, or a, a online media, an online mediation, someone could be recording. That is an issue. So it's always a good idea to have a blanket no recording. But it's a function on Zoom. And you need to make sure it's disabled for your participants. So there are a variety of responsibilities that fall on the shoulders of the mediation professional who is going to offer their services online. It is not a situation where as competent and responsible practitioners that we should just be, as I always call it, winging it. Don't wing it get some training, um, go to my website, learntomediateonline.com. I have free videos on how to um, use the whiteboard, use the waiting room, make breakout rooms. I mean, a lot of the functionality is right there for you to look at in videos. Um, I also, you know, reach out to me if you have questions, Susan at learntomediateonline.com. I think it's critically important that if we are going to offer our services online, we do it to the best of our ability to ensure not only that we have a good experience and will continue to offer our services online, but most importantly, that our participants have a good experience. Because if you go on and it doesn't go well because you weren't prepared or you were not ready with the functionality of your platform, the chances are that those participants are going to think that it's online mediation. 
And online mediation right now is a, a huge benefit to everyone who is in quarantine, who is at risk. And in fact, many, many people are finding the benefits of working remotely, of mediating remotely to, to be far and beyond just the safety factors beyond quarantine. Um, and, you know, I think that professionals who do not give themselves the best possible start and the best possible opportunity to thrive in the online environment are actually harming themselves. So I urge you all to practice, practice, practice. Those of you who know um, the training, I tell you, you know, Zoom has great tutorial videos. There are programs like mine. There are other people I know out there who are doing programs. Um, again, the free videos on my website. I'll give you the link to Waleed's training, uh, which is hands-on and small batch. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to do this. So don't make the number one mistake that I see so many mediators making and make sure that you are prepared and that you are pra have practiced and you're ready to go before you do your mediations online. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of the Learn to Mediate Online podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, and if you liked this episode, please give me a five-star rating and tell me what you did like in a review. Join me each Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. to hear another episode, and be sure to subscribe now so you don't miss one. Send me your questions and comments at susan at learntomediateonline.com. And you can find out more about my trainings and programs at learntomediateonline.com. I'll see you next week.